What God has done uh, goes far beyond these walls. You know, I, I love that statement. It's a great statement. It's a, really a summary of uh, our heart's desire that, yeah, we would come together for worship like this, but that we would also be a church that's thrilled to make him known outside of these worship services to people in our community who need to know Christ. And so uh, I love that statement. I hope you're excited. This is our um, second week in our Make Him Known initiative. Uh, we spent our previous five weeks talking about our call to know Christ. Now we're spending five weeks on making him known. Um, and this is really going to be our focus for uh, the next month through the month of October. Uh, but I want to make it really clear to you guys, like I said last week, make him known in this whole initiative. It's not just our focus for a month. It's not just a two-year project for our church. Making him known is the call of our life, right? If you are alive and you are a Christian, this is what your little dash between, you know, the days between your birthday and your death day, this is what our life should be about, right? Knowing Christ and making him known. It's why we're here. And so we want to be a church like Bob prayed for earlier that makes him known here, near, and everywhere, right? There are 300 children and students in our church who need to know Christ. Many people who come to our church each weekend who are here that need to know Christ. Uh, we want to be a church that makes him known near to people who are near in our community but not yet connected to our church. Like I said last Sunday, 143,000 people in Greene County, very likely who don't have a personal faith in Jesus Christ. We want to make him known everywhere where there are 7,000 unreached people groups around the globe. 4,000 of them who have never even heard the message of Jesus Christ. We want to play our part in reaching those unreached people groups, right? So this is why we're here as a church. This is what we're doing. We want to make him known. Last week, we gave out these little make him known booklets to everybody who was here. Well, I should take that back. We didn't give them out to everybody because uh, we only had enough for probably one per household. But here's the thing. We had a whole bunch more printed off this week. So here's what I'm asking you. If you don't have one of these books yet, Raise your hand because we want to give you one right now. We've got ushers throughout the room that are going to give them. So just throw your hand up if you don't have one. You're going to need one throughout this sermon series. You're going to need one like every uh, week when you come. So you, if you don't have one, make sure you grab one of these. We have plenty. If you're a guest with us today and you're like, I don't know, this isn't really my church, we'd still like to give you one because we want you to know what's going on here. Please pray for us. Be informed about what's going on. If you want more than one book, you can grab them from the tables on your way out the door if you want to give them to your friends, if you want to give them to your family members. Maybe you know people who are thinking about coming to UBC and making UBC their church home. Give them a book. Let them know what's going on here. So we are happy to have, have you help spread the word about what God is doing at UBC. Um, last week, I shared with you guys that there are two main sections in this, in this book. Page 1 through 50 are all about... Uh, information about the Make Him Known initiative. And then pages 50 through the end are all about uh, a weekly guide that we walk through together so that we're unified and focused as a church on what we're praying through, what we're thinking through. There are daily prayer prompts in here. There are devotional helps. There's weekly assignments for each of you to personally consider how the Lord might call you to take steps. All right, so there's a lot. We're, we're asking everybody, listen, we're asking you to use this booklet every day for the month of October and bring it every Sunday. Use it every day, bring it every Sunday. Um, this will help unify us and, and bring us on the same track with each other. Uh, a lot of people are using these for family devotions. I just met with a guy this past week who's like, you know what? We just haven't had a, a, a history of a practice of, of family devotions in our home. 
We're using this now for our family devotions. That's cool to see. Uh, growth groups have been meeting to discuss um, you know, people's notes and thoughts on the, on the uh, messages from the Make Him Known series. Uh, in fact, this past week, we had a bunch of things that got brought up in, growth, in our growth groups, and I got the feedback from that. And so before we get into the sermon today, I want to take just a few minutes right now and probably, I don't know, maybe seven or eight minutes and address four things that have come to my attention about the Make Him Known initiative that I want to help bring clarity about, all right? The first one is the One Fund. Many of you guys have been, you heard about the One Fund last week where we're taking all the giving of the church and instead of breaking it out into all these separate designated funds, we're combining it into one um, entire fund called Make Him Known. Some of you guys have had questions about that. Why are we doing that? What's the motivation? How's it gonna work? Is there still gonna be transparency with the church? I do wanna let you know that on page 30 and 31 in your booklet, there are two pages dedicated to answering your questions about the One Fund. Um, so I would encourage you, please read that. Uh, if you still have questions after reading that, like totally open to like talking with you, like we wanna discuss these things with you. Um, but I do wanna just state very clearly to the church right now, um, when it comes to the One Fund, we are still going to have an annual budget. We are still going to have that annual budget voted on by the members of our church. Uh, we are still gonna have budgeted line items and treasurer's reports provided at every monthly members meeting where we're still providing full transparency on our accounts, just like we have been uh, for, for decades through the years. So I just wanna put some of you at ease about that. Uh, if that hasn't been made clear yet, I hope that clarifies for you. Again, if you have more questions about the One Fund, don't hesitate to ask. The second thing that people have been asking about has to do um, not just with the One Fund, but it's had to do with the timeline of things, okay? So like some of you are like, okay, cool, we've kicked off this initiative, but like what are the key dates we need to remember? When do we turn in our commitment cards? When do we start making our offerings and gifts? The page I want to draw your attention to is page 104 in the booklet. Um, so again, if you got your booklet, just turn there. Just look at it with me. You'll see a page that looks like this. Reminder of key dates. Some key dates that are on here. October 28th, we're asking the church to have a churchwide day of prayer and fasting. Some of you have made a regular pra practice of prayer and fasting. Some of you have never practiced prayer, a day of prayer and fasting before. We'd like to ask everybody who calls UBC home to join and do that together on October 28th. On October 31st is when we are asking everybody to come to church that Sunday ready to uh, turn in your commitment cards. So in your booklet, all of you should have a commitment card like this, this black card. And um, you know that's the day when you'll actually physically turn those in. You won't turn in an actual financial offering for the campaign that day. The financial offerings that you can see, the first big give Sunday is December 5th. So you can see that first big give Sunday, uh, December 5th. That's the day when we're gonna say, you know what, as you consider how the Lord is leading you to give, would you just give um, as much as you can on that particular Sunday? That will help us uh, have some more money up front so that we don't have to take a big loan and those types of things. There's a lot of benefits there and we'll talk more about that as we go. But um, that is the first giving day and then of course our gifts continue for the next two years. So that is... Uh, that is kind of the timeline of things. Hope that gives a little more clarity for some of you who are asking about that. The third thing people have been asking about is like, Jason, what are we gonna do with everybody who's like 
just kind of doing church online through the live stream right now. They're being COVID cautious or they live far away now, but they, they like to participate in UBC. Here's what we're doing for people who are online. So thank you again, everybody who's on the live stream right now watching. Um, we have developed a website, ubcbeavercreek.com slash make him known. It's uh, in its early stages right now, but it already has things on that website like the vision for our campaign, the goals uh, of this initiative, how you can participate, this little booklet that we're looking at right here. There's an electronic version of it available right there on that website. Uh, eventually, there's gonna be the commitment card on that website where you can turn your gifts in electronically. The videos that, you, that you've seen so far, the sermons in this series, they're all gonna be posted there as well as many other things. So for our online community, I uh, hope that that's a helpful uh, resource for you. Um, the last thing that I wanna say is, all right, it's been interesting this week because people have started to verbally talk about how they're processing their, uh, God's leading in their hearts toward their financial commitment. And um, like we said last week, like we, we are not going to be a church that high pressures people into giving. We're not gonna be coming to your door saying, please give this amount. And like, th- that's not what we're gonna do. We're gonna, what we are saying, will you open your heart and pray And whatever the Lord puts on your heart to do, move forward in faith. And so as people have been starting to open their hearts to the Lord, they've been kind of starting to think through like their life situation and where they're at. In our booklet here on pages 37 and 38, again, if you you have it, just encourage you to open there and just look at this with me. Page 37 and 38, there is a description of what we're calling the generosity pathway. And this is kind of a pathway where each of us are on different steps in our journey of discipleship with our finances. Not all of us are at the same space. Not all of us are in the same place with our giving. Some of you, as we go through this process, you're gonna become an initial giver where you literally are giving to the church for the first time. And that's a huge step of faith. Like, we celebrate that. If, if our church is like any, most of the average churches in America, somewhere between 30 and 40% of the people who regularly attend our church have never made a financial contribution. Right? So that's, I don't know if our church is that way or not, but that's the average in America. Some of you may be called to give your first gift. Some of you, God may call you to be an intentional, uh, a, uh, a consistent giver, where you are setting up some sort of a, a pattern of giving. Some of you are going to become intentional givers, where you're looking at your finances and you're assessing things like percentages of your gifts and, and you're planning that way. Some of you are going to be called to become surrendered givers, where you're reducing the amount that you're spending or saving for yourself, or you are going to sell off a a stored resource of some sort in order to give. You're gonna make a sacrifice. Some of you guys may become lifetime givers, and lifetime givers, you know, they basically have lifetime goals that they're trying to accomplish regarding their generosity, and they just orient their lives around those. So, like, for instance, I know one gentleman who his Lifetime goal is that by the time he dies, he wants to be living off of only 50% of his income and giving away 50% of his income. He's decades away from retirement, but that's his goal. And so he's making decisions now about his mortgage and his lifestyle and those types of things so that in the long run, he can hit that goal. So those are lifetime givers. Guys, um, I don't know where you're at in the journey, um, but uh, I know that the Lord will lead you to do whatever he wants you to do. So will you consider what type of giver God is calling you to be? Um, 
in the video last week and in some of our other previous meetings, um, the Lord, you know, you've heard, me, you've heard me say this. I've asked the church body to consider making, you know, the, the, taking the greatest step of generosity that you've ever taken in your life. The Lord has put it on my heart to say, Jason, you can't, you can't call the church to that if you're not willing to practice it yourself. So early on in this process, Rachel and I sensed the Lord leading us to take, you know, the greatest step of generosity we've ever taken. And it, the amount that the Lord was putting on our hearts was a, was a stretch for us. And yet the Lord has unified us. And even this past week, I just, we, Rachel and I have, since May, we've been praying about something very specific to happen. And uh, the Lord very directly answered that prayer request for us this past week, which we see as a confirmation that as we've taken the step of faith, the Lord is now working to uh, enable that step of faith to be taken. So we just praise the Lord for that. And I'm sharing that with you guys to say, you know what? The Lord is gonna put it on your hearts. Some of you anyways, he's gonna say, you know what? I want you to take this step. And right now, you're not gonna know how you get there. And yet, months and years are gonna go by And you're gonna look back and you're gonna say, you know what, when we first made that commitment, I had no idea. I had no idea how we were gonna get there. Yet God in his faithfulness made it happen. God did it. And so we'll be able to rejoice in that together. Guys, I don't know what the Lord is gonna put on your heart to give, but I know that God is faithful. And if 100% of us do 100% of whatever God is calling us to do to make him known, then I believe that God's just gonna blow our minds with how he blesses our church. So you guys, I hope that helps bring some clarity and some encouragement to you about this campaign. Thank you for listening to me for the past several minutes as I've taken time to walk through that. If you have questions about the booklet or the commitment cards or anything that has to do with the campaign, we have people out at the Make Him Known table here in the lobby and at the lobby at East where you can uh, stop by and ask your questions there. We'd love to talk with you. All right. All that being said, let's open up our booklets to page 60. That's where our good old page for sermon notes is. Uh, So week two, here we go. Uh, I want to talk to you today uh, about the story of the Good Samaritan. The story of the Good Samaritan from Luke chapter 10. So that's where we're going to be today, Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bible, you can turn there as well. I want to talk to you today about making him known mercifully. Making him known mercifully. Last week, we talked about our call to make him known missionally. Today, we want to talk about our call to make him known mercifully. And I want to work through this message in the same way we have been, answering our three questions. First question is, what does it mean to make him known mercifully? Second question is, why is it important? And then the third question is, how are we going to pursue it? All right? And the whole big idea that I, I hope you take home today, very straightforward, is this. To be a wholehearted disciple of Jesus Christ, you must make him known mercifully. To be a wholehearted disciple of Jesus Christ, you must make him known mercifully. That's got to just not be a desire of your heart, but we've got to be putting this into action in our lives. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to read the whole passage about the Good Samaritan. But before I do, it's important for you to understand some cultural context of this story or else you're going to miss kind of the big point of what's going on here. In our day and age right now, we think of a Samaritan as a good person. Somebody who's been kind and generous and in some way sacrificed something to help somebody else out. Like we think of a Samaritan as being a good guy. But in Jesus' day, the view of a Samaritan was totally different. In Jesus' culture, the Jews didn't so much like the Samaritans. Um, A Samaritan was someone who was from Samaria, 
which is one of the northern, kind of um, a region north of Jerusalem. And the Jews looked down on Samaritans and considered them half-breeds. And here's why. In approximately 722 B.C., the Assyrian army came in and conquered what we now know as the northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, as the Assyrian army came in, they moved into those lands. They started intermarrying with the Jews, repopulated kind of um, with inter, you know, intercultural marriages at that point. And uh, eventually what ended up happening is that God allows the Israelites to you know, return from their exile, come back into their home. Ezra and Nehemiah are raised up to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And so some of the Jews in the northern regions wanted to help rebuild the, uh, the city of Jerusalem and the temple. Um, and the people from the south were like, no, we don't want your help. We don't, because you're no longer, you're no longer one of us. You've intermarried and intermixed with these, you know, pagan, ungodly uh, Assyrians. You are Samaritans. You're not one of us. And so what ended up happening, the Samaritans built their own temple and their own place of worship. And so, you know, there was hostility in Jesus's day between the Jews and the Samaritans. And all of that is the background to Jesus talking in this story with a lawyer and telling him the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? In which, interestingly, this man who Jesus talks to is a Jew, and Jesus makes the hero out of the Samaritan, which would have been pretty stark. So let's read the story in Luke chapter 10. God's word reads this way. Luke 10, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you "You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, here's the story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Guys, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord is what remains forever. Amen? It's God's good word for us today. I want us to look at this story of the Good Samaritan, and uh, along the way, I want us to answer our three questions about making him known missionally, all right? So what's the first question we're answering? The first question we're answering is, what does it mean? When we talk about making him known mercifully, what does it mean to make him known mercifully? Here's our definition. It means acting with compassion when you see someone hurting and in need, right? Pretty straightforward, right? Acting with compassion when you see someone hurting and in need. 
Now, why would we use the word mercifully um, when we're talking about things like compassion? And the answer is, is because that's what we see in, in the text, right? In our story, this is the way it's described. There, there was a man who was wounded, two Jewish men passed by, a third Samaritan man came along, and in verse 33, what does it say in verse 33? But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to the place where he was, and when he saw him, he had, you say the word, he had what? Compassion, right? The word compassion in the original language is the word splachnizomai, right? Splachnizomai, which is a funny word to say. But it means to feel sympathy like deep inside yourself and then to be compelled to act upon it, all right? So that, that's the difference between the Samaritan and the other two men, right? The, the priest and the Levite saw him, but they took no action. The Samaritan man saw him and had splock needs oh my, right? He, he had to, we had to move, he had to act, he had to do something. The Samaritan man showed compassion. And so Jesus tells us exactly what those actions were that the Samaritan took, right? It says that he bandaged him, which means he probably took some of his own clothes and, and used them as bandages. He uh, gave his wine and his oil as ointments for the wounds. He gave up his own means of transportation, his donkey, and put the man on his donkey. He, um, you know, he gave up his time. He, he stopped, helped the man, and then stayed with him. And then he gave a significant portion of his money to denarii, which is equivalent somewhere around two weeks worth of pay, maybe up to two months of pay, depending on which commentary you read. And, and he gave that up, right? So these are the ways that the Samaritan acted with compassion. So remember, why am I pointing this out? Because we're answering the question, why do we use the word mercifully when we're talking about compassion? And the answer is seen in verse 36 and 37. So in verse 36, <clears throat> Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer answered, the one who showed him What's the word? Mercy. Mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. So in verse 33 and thir through 35, the Samaritan acted with compassion. In verse 37, the scripture describes those compassionate acts as mercy. Mercy and compassion are interchangeable here. So that's why we say that making him known mercifully means acting with compassion when you see someone hurting and in need. All right, so that's the definition of our term. That being laid out, let's talk about why it's important. Why is it important that we make Christ known mercifully? I wanna share with you two reasons why this is important. There are more reasons in the full counsel of God's word, but there are two things that we can draw directly out of our text from today. I, I wanna start with the lesser reason and then move into the greater reason. So let's get into this. Number one, here's why this is important. It's, it's important because of our tendency to be religious while yet at the same time turning a blind eye to those in need, right? It's important that we act mercifully because there is a tendency in our hearts to be religious and yet at the same time turn a blind eye to those who are in need, right? This is what Jesus is describing in the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Look at it again with me, verses 30 through 33. Verse 30, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead. Now pick up in verse 31. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, which, let me just pause right there and say, I know that this wigs out all the Calvinists in the room. By chance, a priest? Oh, what about God's sovereignty? I'll just say this to all the Calvinists. Don't freak out, right? This is a parable, 
it didn't actually happen. So you, chill. Okay. Um, so uh, where are we at? <laughs> okay. Uh, the priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he did what? He passed by on the other side. Verse 32, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Right, so what's the difference between the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan? They, they all have one thing in common. Right? They all saw the man with the need, but only the Samaritan stopped and acted with compassion. The other two saw but decided to ignore, right? The, the types of men who did not stop and help in this parable were the religious men, a priest and a Levite, temple workers, right? If there was anybody who would have known the heart of God for mercy and compassion and to help those who are in need, it should have been these two guys. But in Jesus' story, they are the ones who turned a blind eye. I've told you guys this story before, but this is like another good spot to insert it. But when I was... Uh, when I was growing up, I had a friend named Tom Jones. Tom, not Tom Jones the singer. Some of you guys don't even know who Tom Jones the singer is, but for those who do, I'm not that old to have a friend who was actually the real Tom Jones, okay? But Tom Jones, my friend, he, uh, you know, he lived in his house with his family, and they had a dog named Barney. And Barney had, you know, he's like a beagle, and he had this thing that he would do whenever, you know, he was about to get held accountable for something that he had done in the house. He would go and lay down in his bed, and he would take his paws, and he would do this. Just put them straight over his eyes, right? In his mind, what was going on, right? If he couldn't see the problem, there was no problem, right? He was trying to remove his responsibility as if it wasn't there. Guys, just because we choose to ignore our responsibility doesn't mean it's not there. When it comes to taking care of the poor, the needy, the hurting, the wounded, the most vulnerable, just because we choose to ignore our responsibility doesn't mean it's not there. Our hearts can be so hardened, can't they? Some of you right now, your heart might be hard. You might be listening to this and, and I don't, like the Holy Spirit's just nudging you in your heart like, you know, Open your heart. Open your heart. Our hearts can become so calloused where we see people with real needs and real circumstances that are full of hurt and pain and rather than help, right, we just turn away. I'll pray for you, but we don't act. We have a strong tendency to be this way. As religious as we are, we can often turn a blind eye. And that's part of why Living a merciful life is important because we don't want to turn, we don't want to be religious and then turn a blind eye. That's the first reason why it's important to live mercifully. Here's the second reason, and honestly, this is the deeper reason. This is the more direct and important point of the whole story of the Good Samaritan, all right? We must live mercifully, number two, because no matter how religious we are, we need God's mercy like everybody else. No matter how religious we are, no matter how churchy, no matter how committed to the Lord, no matter how much Bible knowledge, no matter how much we're serving in the church, no matter, we need God's mercy just like everybody else. Remember what is going on in the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember what led up to Jesus telling this parable. Let's look back at verse 25 for a second. Verse 25 says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
So you gotta imagine what's going on here. There's a crowd, Jesus is there, a man stands up in the crowd and he wants to ask Jesus a question. This man who stands up is a lawyer, which means he's an expert in the Old Testament law, not just with knowledge of it, but also uh, experience on how to apply it to the culture of that day. And so Jesus, he stands up to put Jesus to the test, right? He was trying to trick Jesus and get Jesus to answer in some way that was inconsistent with the Old Testament scriptures, right? In other words, this guy didn't have a good motive for his question, right? which let me just say this, as a preacher, this happens to us all the time. Somebody comes up to talk to you after a service, I got a question for you. And they start to ask their question and like pretty soon you can discern like this person doesn't actually have a question. <laughs> they wanna make a point. They wanna show how smart they are. They want to try to trip me up and, and see you know, if I've got like a, a, you know, if I can make a mistake, make me look dumb or you know, so they just wanna start a quarrel or something, right? Not that any of you guys would ever do that. Our church would never, although I will say this, Whenever Scott Dixon or Phil Wing's preaching, you can feel free to do that, right? So just get them, right? Go get them on that, right? So um, love you, Phil. Love you, Scott. Um, it's true, though, right? Some people ask questions with bad motives. And that's, that's what this man is doing to Jesus. And the question that this man asks is, what, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's a million-dollar question, right? That's a very important question. It's a good question. And he could not have chosen a better person to ask the question to, right? Jesus is gonna give him the best answer. But then after the question is asked, Jesus asks a question of his own, which let me just tell you this, like whenever Jesus asks a question to you, you know you're about to get schooled because Jesus has infinite knowledge. He's the son of God. You're not gonna fill him in on something that he doesn't already know, right? So he's about to make a point, right? Jesus' question that he asked was, to the lawyer, he says, verse 26, well, what is written in the law? You, you expert of the law, you lawyer, how do you read it? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Wait, do this and you will live? Isn't, doesn't that seem kind of like works-based salvation? Kind of seems that way, doesn't it? It feels that way at first until the rest of the situation plays out and you see that Jesus is trying to make a point to this man, right? He, look, look what, how the man responds. Verse 29, but he, the lawyer, desi desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Right? The, Jesus says, you know, go do it. Jesus says, the lawyer says, well, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to do that to? And the man asks who is my neighbor because he wants to justify himself. He wants to prove that he is good, in good standing with God, that he has lived out the greatest commandments because he assumes that Jesus is going to say something like, your neighbors are those around you, the community of people around you. And this man is thinking to himself, I've been a committed Jew. I have loved my, my Jewish family. I have loved my Jewish neighbors. I have been part of my Jewish community and, uh, and I've done that well. In other words, he wants to show that he has obeyed God's commands and therefore he deserves eternal life based off his works. So the lawyer asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And how does Jesus answer? Jesus answers by telling the story of the good Samaritan. And then after telling the story, Jesus asks the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? 
And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You, Mr. Jewish, religious, Old Testament expert of the law, you go and do likewise. You go and use your resources to help those who are in need. You go and have mercy like the Samaritan on people that you don't like. You go and be like who? The Samaritan? The man that you Jews hate? Jesus was calling this man to be like the Samaritan, the man that this Jewish guy had hatred in his heart towards, right? In other words, it's here that Jesus wants this lawyer to realize just how unjustified he really is. It's here that Jesus wants this lawyer to understand that he wasn't loving his neighbor. Jesus wants him to realize that he wasn't ultimately living out God's greatest commandments. In other words, Jesus wants this man to realize he's not actually on the path to eternal life. And in order to be on the path to eternal life, what does this man, this religious man, in all of his own self-righteousness, what does he actually need? He actually needs God's mercy. He needs God's mercy. And here's the thing. Guys, we, like the lawyer, we must come to see, when we read the Bible, that we are not the good Samaritan. We are not the good Samaritan. We are more like the man on the road. We are beaten up and beat down by sin. We've been lied to and deceived by Satan. We, we can do nothing to save our own lives. We are spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. Right? If anything, we're more like the self-justifying lawyer for the most part. Where we try to earn God's favor by all of our good deeds because we tend to think that it's our good deeds that will lead to eternal life. Yet we are dead in our trespasses and sins, unable to save ourselves. We are in need of God's what? Mercy. And who's the one who comes to us while we are dead in our trespasses and sins? Who is the one who, while we were still sinners, came for us? Who's the one who bore our grief and our sorrow and by his stripes we are healed? Who's the one who covers all of our sin and applies all of his righteousness in our behalf, paying for all of our debt and ensuring our our acceptance by God for the future? Guys, who does that for us? Jesus. As we're not the good Samaritan, Jesus is the true good Samaritan. Jesus is the true neighbor. Why, do we, why then would we love our neighbor? Because we've been loved by Jesus, the perfect neighbor. Why would we emulate and imitate the life of a good Samaritan? It's because we've been loved and, and been given mercy by Jesus, the good Samaritan. As we've received the mercy of Jesus, we are to give the mercy of Jesus, even to those who we find it difficult to give it to. No matter, listen to me, this is, a, this is a crowd full of church, you're here at church today, Christian school students, like there's a lot of religiosity here, right? There's a lot of churchiness here. And I, I don't want to say anything, like the Lord knows your hearts, right? But I just know from my own experience, and there's a lot of churchiness in my life where all I was was a little Pharisee when all along I was, I was desperately in need of the mercy of God. No matter how religiously active we are, we still need God's mercy. 
So when we've received God's mercy, we give it. When you've been a recipient, you want to pass it on. So how are we going to pursue this life of mercy? How are we going to do this? I want to I talk about becoming merciful disciples. I want to talk about how we're going to pursue it individually as disciples, but also collectively as a church. How can we pursue it individually? First of all, here we go. By not just noticing, but acting when we see someone who's truly in need. How do we live a merciful life imitating Jesus? It's not, you know, not by just noticing, but acting when someone is truly in need, right? This is, a, this is a very general application point because for you, you're gonna have people in your life who have different types of needs than the people that I have in my life and you're gonna look around and you're gonna see people with different ways that you can care for them. But I, I'll just say this, I trust that if you open your heart to be a merciful person, the Lord will bring into your life people who need mercy. It will, you open your heart, God will do it. So that's your, your call today is, Lord, I, my heart's open. I wanna show mercy. Right? Like, act. Where you see a need, act. And let me just say this, just like there was tension between the Jews and the Samaritans and they were prone to not act mercifully toward each other, there might be somebody in your life who you're like, I don't wanna serve that person. That person's difficult, too time-consuming, too needy, too this or that, they're different, whatever. Here's the thing. It's probably that exact person that the Lord's calling you to open your heart to. Don't just notice their need, but act to meet it. Now, that's how we make him known mercifully as an individual level. What about a church level? Collectively as a church, here's how we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this by developing a new branch of mercy ministries in our church. We're gonna develop a new branch of mercy ministries in our church. Mercy ministries is not something we've really talked about before. We, it's not been... It's, it's pretty standard for us to have student ministries and kids ministries and you know, all these different classes ministries, growth group ministry, but we're gonna develop a new branch of ministry called Mercy Ministries in our church. It's gonna include our benevolence care where we provide help to people from our community who need help. We have a process with our deacons that we work through to, make care of that, to take care of that. For people who are members in our church, like part of being a member in our church means if, if you have a need that arises and you go through hard times, this church family is committed to taking care of the needs of our members, right? We wanna do good to all men, but especially to those of the household of faith, as Galatians tells us, right? This, is, this benevolence process has been a strength of our church in the past and we wanna see it continue into the future. But I'm also excited to start some new efforts because I'm excited to see us make intentional, strategic ministry partnerships with organizations who are doing real work and real ministry among the most vulnerable in our communities. I'm talking about ministry to widows, ministry to orphans, ministry to the unborn, right, for the sake of the unborn, ministry for the sake of the persecuted church, right? I'm excited to see us develop intentional, strategic ministry partnerships where we can play our part there to help love and serve, where we can get involved in those types of ministries. I'm excited to see us in the future have readily accessible gospel-centered help for people who may need marriage counseling or people who need freedom from addictions or people who, who are dealing with trauma or crises in their lives, right? We want to start strategic partnerships with great organizations who are doing these things. And I'll tell you this much, if we can't find a great organization who's doing it, we're gonna start one ourselves because this is part of our responsibility as the church to live lives of mercy. As we've been recipients of mercy, we give mercy. 
Guys, this is all part of what we want to develop in the next two years through the Make Him Known initiative. The money that you give, the commitment you make, it's gonna go towards this. We're gonna hire staff. We're gonna put leadership teams in place. We're gonna mobilize the church to be involved in these. When you turn in your commitment card, you're not just turning in a number. You're saying, you know what? I believe in this cause. I'm giving towards this. I want to see people become wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ. And to be a wholehearted disciple of Jesus Christ, we must what? We must make him known mercifully. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that. I wanna see our church become full of people with hearts and actions of mercy. I, I wanna, you saw the video. I wanna see more Greg Bakers be reached through the ministry of our church. I wanna be a part of that. I wanna see God use us to help people know him and make him known. Guys, it's, it's why we're here as a church, and if you're a disciple of Jesus, it's why you're here on this earth. All right, let's pray. Father, um, I want to say thank you for this time that we have to open your word. Thank you for Luke 10 and for giving us this specific passage. Lord, um, admittedly, we, we can become so active in our religious traditions that we turn a blind eye to those who are around us in need. Lord, give us your heart. Give us your heart to see and act on behalf of the most vulnerable among us. Lord, would you use our church to truly help widows and orphans? Would you use our church, the people of our church, to put a dent into the problem, Lord, of of, uh, fatherless children in our world and in our local community? Would you use our church to uh, make an impact to stop the abortion atrocity that's going on in our country? Lord, would you use our church to help be uh, uh, having a true heart to give real help and real uh, caring provision for the persecuted around the world. Lord, I ask that you would give us vision, give us leaders with a passion, give us the resources that we need, give us the heart that we, that, give us your heart, Lord, your heart for these things so that we would follow your lead. Lord, um, thank you that you had mercy on us. And now, Lord, I pray that you would help us to go and do likewise, not because we want to earn your favor or earn our salvation, but we do go and do likewise because you've given us your favor and because we've been recipients of your mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.